0: Topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now, welcome Integrative Dieticians Allie Miller and her co host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 76 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today, we're talking all about a really important topic that can play a huge role in our ability to lose weight as well as our overall health. We're talking about insulin resistance. We see this so often clinically, and I think it's one of the biggest issues that we're working with with our virtual keto participants, and it's really this chicken and egg type relationship, like so many of the health issues that we deal with.
2: They all come down to chicken and egg. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What came first? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So today we'll be
1: breaking down what actually drives insulin resistance as well as going through some advanced functional medicine solutions and dietary recommendations.
2: Yes, I am so stoked to be talking about this today. We actually have a couple topics about dysglycemia and blood sugar imbalance and the role of insulin in earlier episodes. But today is really getting to the root, like Becky said, on a functional medicine platform and digging deeper because many of our clients are already watching their glycemic index of their diet or their carbohydrate control, many of them even becoming fat adapted or going ketogenic, but still dealing with this as a stubborn metabolic hormonal response.
1: Right. So let's jump right in and define for listeners. I know back, it looks like it was episode 10 that Mm -hmm. um, insulin resistance was first presented. So it's been a while. I think we should just redefine it Uh um, and talk about what insulin is and what its main function is in the body.
2: Sure. So insulin is a hormone made by the pancreas and it is pro-inflammatory And it is released in the bloodstream by stimulation typically from glucose or blood sugar. So the pancreas makes two different hormones. It makes insulin and glucagon and uh, different receptors, the beta and alpha receptors, make the opposing formulas. And um, so when there's low blood sugar in someone that is using glucose or blood sugar as fuel, the individual releases glucagon from the pancreas, and basically that stimulates gluconeogenesis or blood sugar production. When someone has blood sugar already flowing in their bloodstream and the blood sugar could be there from consumption of carbohydrates, The blood sugar could be there from a stress response or other hormonal mechanisms, which we'll talk about, like the influence of cortisol. Um, Then regardless, the body's going to release that insulin. And the idea is that insulin should dock with our cell receptors, like a lock and key mechanism, to open a, a wall. Typically, it's called GLUT4, which is a particular wall in the cell membrane that allows glucose to transport into the cell to be used as fuel. So, you know, when we're talking about its role, it's most simplistically stated that insulin's role is to help to support the body's use of glucose as fuel. And it is a hormone that has pro-inflammatory mechanisms.
1: Awesome. And I think that lock and key is a really good visual for folks about thinking about just getting that glucose into the cell where it needs to go.
2: Yes, for sure.
1: Okay. So let's define now insulin resistance?
2: Sure. So if you think about this, like lock and key mechanism, the more carbohydrates you consume, the more units of insulin or the more insulin needs to be produced per stimulation from the pancreas. And so for an individual that eats a highly refined carbohydrate diet, they're going to get more of a rapid kind of blood sugar spike, if you will, like a mountain peak. And that's going to stimulate excessive output of insulin from the pancreas. The pancreas kind of freaks out and is like, oh, my gosh, let's get this stuff down. It dumps a ton of insulin out. And over time, what happens is the insulin in excess is not able to dock to the receptors. So it can kind of strip the receptors, basically overstimulating, and the cell receptors become less responsive. Also, we can get insulin resistance from a more mechanical blockage from inflammatory processes that surround the cell membrane. So if the cells are puffy and inflamed, those receptors, it's kind of (laughs) like if you live in a really warm climate and your locks have ever swollen with humidity, right? So you're not able to get that that key wedge in there. Um, And the same thing can happen if there's too much body fat blocking the cell membrane. receptors. So mechanically speaking, if you have more abdominal belly fat or more body fat in general, that can interfere with the insulin docking. So it kind of bounces off of the receptor sites. So overstimulation, inflammation, and body fat can be big drivers that drive insulin resistance. And this is often even a earlier onset prior to diabetes. So usually we say a pre-diabetic is going to have a accelerated or excess insulin levels in their body because of this onset of insulin resistance. And over time, that's what's going to create the trending increase in blood sugar because that blood sugar will not be able to get into those cells.
1: Okay, and then let's talk about how this can become kind of a, a vicious cycle within what you just spoke to.
2: Sure. So, you know, it it starts typically speaking with a high carbohydrate diet. So high carbohydrate diet leads to high blood sugar levels, which leads to excessive insulin response, which will move sugar into the cell's quickly because there's a lot of insulin signaling, let's get out of here, let's get this blood sugar in these cells, go, go, go. And often in that process, that rapid movement of sugar storage drives increased fat storage. And also in that process, the blood sugar does drop because if we overcompensated with too much insulin response, the blood sugar is going to drop rapidly, which creates that fatigue and hunger. Um, and then that drives us to go get more food. So, increased food consumption, increased blood sugar, increased insulin, increased weight. And that's this vicious, vicious cycle that we see. And that's why, even frequency of eating um, for those constant grazers, um, you know, you may have had that recommendation of eating frequently. If you listen to our podcast episode on intermittent fasting, we talk about the benefit of being uh, separated from a constant fed state into a fasting state because that's a time when your insulin can actually take a break and not have to continue continually hit the signals.
1: Awesome. So it really is that chicken and egg that we spoke to in terms of, you know, did the insulin resistance come first or did that weight gain come first uh, right. and require more insulin?
2: Right. For sure. Because, you know, the body fat itself drives that insulin resistance. So that in itself is going to require more insulin release. And that's going to drive in itself more body fat because insulin is a storage hormone, a pro-inflammatory storage hormone. So that's definitely a big connection. And um, when we're talking about the influence of carbohydrates. I also like to mention that there can be some insulin resistance seen from the non-caloric sweeteners. And there's a lot of reasons why I am pretty strongly opposed to the non-caloric sweeteners. Um, you know, even including things like definitely erythritol and Splenda and Swerve and Sweetenlow. And and even stevia because there's definitely a good better, best spectrum and um, stevia and its raw leaf form is definitely more of a whole food um, but the more processed white powders we get from these plants and often some of these are corn derived like the erythritol um, which I then get concerned about the influence of pesticide residues and things like that being a pro-inflammatory influence on itself regardless of the processing Non caloric sweeteners can trick the body into a psychosomatic reaction. So, psychosomatic is this response where there is stimulation on a mental level that drives physiological body response. And so, this is like that Pavlov's dog effect, where if you recall from old school science class, the bell was, you know, the bell is. They ding the bell, they present the meal to the dog. They ding the bell, they present the meal to the dog. And so it gets to the point where that dinging of the bell creates a salivary response, a psychosomatic reaction. So the body actually started to respond, the dog's body started to release pooling of saliva in response to the signal of the bell, the stimulation. So the digestive process actually responded to as if there was a physical need. The same thing can happen with the taste of sweet. So with these non-caloric sweeteners, we get that ding-dong effect of the taste of sweet and there can be insulin stimulation, which can in itself drive insulin resistance as another mechanism because we get the signal of insulin, but there's no glucose to bring into the cells to be used as fuel. So that in itself can make the body less responsive to the insulin.
1: Awesome. And, and I think that's, you know, a really important point. We'll drive this home again when we get to our, our tools and solutions section. But, you know, going ketogenic or going into lower carb and just replacing all of the carbs and sugar with artificial sweeteners might not be the best idea.
2: Especially if we're dealing with insulin resistance and any history of that. And if we were dealing with weight loss, we probably were.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about why levels of high levels of insulin can be harmful.
2: Sure. So they can be harmful, as I mentioned, because they are pro-inflammatory. They do drive increased body fat storage. And in the presence of accelerated or elevated, excuse me, I keep using those interchangeably today. Um, so in the presence of elevated blood sugar levels, we can see more arterial damage because of both the combination of inflammation and increased blood sugar. So those sugars can be very abrasive. They kind of tend to make nicks at the surface of our vessels. So we can have a higher trend towards atherosclerotic plaque formation, um, which leads towards heart disease and stroke, an increase of insulin uh, tends to trend with increased blood sugar. So that opens the whole world of also diabetic side effects like neuropathy, uh, vascular dysfunction in general beyond cardiovascular elements, and then neurological dysfunction because those sugars and insulin can have a pretty harmful effect on our nerve coding, um, causing things like gastroparesis or a more paralyzed gut motility. Or neuropathy um, tingling sensation or loss of function in the hands or feet um, all the way into mechanisms of more advanced neurological diseases like alzheimer's parkinson's multiple sclerosis so keeping insulin at bay is really important and the last uh, disease state that i'll mention beyond the vascular and neurological is the correlation with cancer. So we often are watching for um, IGF-1 insulin growth factor as a tumorigenic marker because insulin being anabolic or driving of growth can often be trended with tumor activity in the body. So regulating insulin can be one of the best ways to manage Control for disease for heart disease, control for disease for neurological conditions, as well as Alzheimer's and aging, as well as anti-cancer mechanisms.
1: Awesome. So some kind of scary stuff there, but the good news, I think, from this is that this is something that we can get ahead of and that if well-managed, won't turn into one of those states of disease.
2: Absolutely. There's Uh, a lot that can be done. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about just kind of generally speaking, what um, treatment of high insulin would look like functionally versus conventionally in the conventional medicine model.
2: Yeah. So, you know, in a functional medicine model, we're always trying to look for the root cause. And I think across the board, both functional and conventional physicians um, or certified diabetes educators would be on board with the recommendation of weight loss as the first line of defense. I think that that Hopefully, you know is going to be acknowledged as the first line of defense because of that chicken and egg relationship of increased body fat driving more insulin resistance. So, if we can help that individual to accelerate—that is the time I want to use accelerate—to <laughs> accelerate their body fat loss, we can help them to reduce their insulin demand and their insulin production, and in turn, their insulin resistance. Now, if we're looking at more of a conventional model. Often in that type of a patient care model, there's not ample time to provide education or that individual may not be practicing the up-to-date medical literature as far as recommending a very low carbohydrate, more along the lines of ketogenic diet as a prescription to accelerate this process. They may just be doing a conventional diabetic diet or just calorie control and that may not be as successful of outcomes as far as insulin resistance. And we see that in research when we look at weight loss with a ketogenic diet accelerating the levels of drop in our hemoglobin A1C and in our triglycerides. Um, Not as many research studies tend to trend fasting insulin, but I would hypothesize that that would trend down as well because the ketogenic diet is going to accelerate the reduced reliance on glucose and thus the re- reduced need for insulin. So that's going to be the most accelerated form of weight loss that helps to reduce the insulin resistance. Um, the other thing in a conventional model that, that may go wrong if they're just doing, again, calorie control is that, you know, they're going to probably go right to a line of defense of drugs. Um, and many of them, like glucophage or metformin, which work on the liver and play a role with uh, glucose signaling in the body. Um, you know, those also can hinder mitochondrial function and can deplete a lot of our nutrients that play an integral role in our body's use of energy, our body's um, energy metabolism, and in turn can play a role with metabolic processes. So we typically with functional medicine look to add legs to the stool versus pulling away the seat. So by reducing the demand for glucose at all, Um, We don't have to go to those drugs. And on the other end, if you're already a listener that's on one of those drugs, um, there is really great help and hope for you to get off of those drugs using a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet and then some of the additional functional elements to reduce the demand for insulin in the body.
1: Awesome. I think that's really helpful for our listeners to hear that, you know, medication is not the only option and and definitely not the best option in terms of- Well, and dieting.
2: it's always, yeah, it's always thinking about, right, but the first do no harm mantra and the concept of, yes, I, I'm all for getting aggressive, um, but there's no such thing as a deficiency of glucophage or sure. a deficiency of metformin. There is deficiency of maybe, as we'll talk today, some of the nutrient trends that we see that can drive insulin resistance. So we may as well work with what the body needs versus blocking metabolic pathways as a, as a first or second line of defense. Sure.
1: So let's talk, we've alluded to a couple of these already, but let's talk about what are the main drivers of insulin resistance and why we're seeing insulin resistance on the rise nowadays.
2: For sure. So. One of the big ones, as I've mentioned, is a high-carbohydrate diet. So, that's bar none the number one driver. So, you got to pull the carbs out because those are what are going to rapidly break down to glucose and cause that insulin demand. So, that's the number one cause. Refined sweeteners, high-carbohydrate diet. And it could be someone eating a clean diet, just too many grams of carbohydrates. So, first minimum is to get them low glycemic, which is going to look like less than 90 grams of carbs a day, and then working them down to how they would perform on a ketogenic diet, which would be less than 30 grams of carbs a day. The other issue, as I kind of mentioned a little bit, was being overfed yet malnourished. So we're eating these empty calories, um, and we're eating food-like products that have a lot of additives, binders, fillers, stabilizers, and artificial additives that stimulate this inflammatory process, but don't provide us the nourishment needed. And when we're in that grazing mentality, you're eating every three hours or so. Um, and in our society with constant food access 24-7, you know, we're not getting the benefit of the fasting or allowing the body to reset. It's constantly in that stimulation of eat, store, eat, store. And that's the insulin overdrive. The third thing I would look into for a driver, as I mentioned, kind of with the metformin example, is micronutrient deficiencies. So we'll talk later in today's episode about some of the top trending deficiencies that can drive insulin resistance and um, you know how deficiency can occur. And when we replete those, how those increase the function of, of the body.
1: Awesome. And then I think... This next one is one we don't often think about with insulin resistance. What about
2: stress? Yes. So stress is a huge one as well. And often we'll see both hemoglobin A1C, which is that three-month average of blood sugar levels, and fasting insulin or just um, a difficulty of getting keto adapted or a difficulty of producing ample um, ketones in a blood meter when stress is not regulated so stress can play a huge metabolic headache for us and the first thing i'll just mention in this brief um, description is that our our inner fight-or-flight mode we can actually dump glucose from our liver into our bloodstream without consumption of carbs. So that's a survival mechanism, is dumping sugar into the bloodstream so that we have that fuel to fight or flee. So stress in itself can drive insulin resistance. And then there are those non-caloric sweeteners, as I mentioned, for sure. And then endocrine disruptors, um, which can be seen in our plastics, our perfumes, our pesticides. So as uh, we see higher susceptibility to toxins, that can be a signaling issue in our hormonal system, and insulin resistance is one of the downstream effects of that.
1: Okay, so a lot of factors at play for sure. And before we get into our solutions, because I know listeners are dying to know, okay, okay. What do I do? That's me. What do I do about this? Um, Let's just have a quick word from our sponsor. So, Health IQ is a life insurance agency that provides savings for health conscious individuals.
2: Yes, we are happy to share that this podcast of Naturally Nourished, Episode 76, is sponsored by Health IQ. They are a insurance company that helps you listeners who are mindful and proactive about your wellness get lower rates on life insurance. You can go over to healthiq.com backslash Allie Miller RD to support the show and see if you qualify.
1: Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like you guys, our listeners. In fact, 56% of Health IQ customers can save up to 33% on their life insurance.
2: So we are super excited to share them as an opportunity for you all because we know as you're waiting to get to the part of the show of the, what can I do about it? You guys are all so proactive and rocking with your wellness journey. So you might as well get a financial return on your investment for your well care.
1: Yes. So health IQ customers can save up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to those who are inactive.
2: So literally the work you put into your body to make you feel better on a daily basis can not only enhance longevity, but it can also save you money. So go on over to healthiq.com backslash RD or mention the promo code AllieMillerRD when you talk to a Health IQ agent.
1: Awesome. So let's get into solutions for insulin resistance. So first of all, what can we do with diet? Yes.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I think I've kind of hit this as far as the first line of defense would be to go low glycemic if you're eating more of a standard American diet or just a generalized diabetic diet, because you know what is crazy? Actually, you tell me, Becky, because you've been in the hospital system more recent than me. But last I checked, I believe that the diabetic diet is upwards of 200 grams of carbs, 150 to 200 grams of carbs. Is that still true?
1: I had a 12-year-old diabetic who was prescribed somewhere between 260 and 300 grams of carbs per day. I'm like, how can you even fit that many grams of carbs (laughs) on your plate? Like, Like, You
2: have to add sugar uh to your food to achieve that. It is absolutely out of
1: control. it's a crime. And that's when I was going to like shut the door and be like, listen, we don't (laughs) actually have to do this. You can't repeat this to your nurses. And I'm just an intern, but come on guys.
2: Yeah. You're chasing your, I mean, and that's what happens, unfortunately in institutional, especially institutional healthcare, like in long-term care facilities, when they put elderly on insulin, um, you know, they chase, the insulin dosage with carbs, it's out of control. And so you're actually feeding, to to manage your diabetes, you're actually feeding your body foods that increase your blood sugar. And then you medicate that increased level of blood sugar. And then you eat more sugar because your medication dropped your sugar too much. It is, I mean, something has to give. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. So I am, yes, I, I am so pumped to have created our virtual ketosis program and have the resources out there for you guys, including our Eat Fat Get Skinny cookbook and my Ketogenic Kickstart ebook, which you can buy in a bundle, to educate you about the tools of a high fat, nourishing, real food, low carbohydrate diet and how it can treat and manage a whole myriad of different. Symptoms and areas of dysfunction in your body, insulin resistance, just being one. That's all I have to say about that. With <laughs> the recent hating on the keto diet, I'll try not to get emotional. Oh but, gosh. Um, <laughs> but yes. So yes, the first thing you can do is cut carbs and consider ketosis. And I would say, you know, start with uh, checking out those ebooks. Our next virtual ketosis program launches May 15th. So you still have time to wrap your mind around this before you would join our program, but it will sell out. It always does. And it is such an awesome, comprehensive 12-week adventure where every other week I join you for a live class and we talk about beyond mastering ketosis functional integrative medicine, and how you can apply leaky gut and stress demands and the HPA access and hormones, and how you can heal your body using food as medicine with ketosis as a platform. So um, that's the first step for sure, managing the diet. Um, And uh, I I think that that's, that's my strongest recommendation for sure. And even if you're just doing low glycemic, you can start to see how you would feel with even further tightening up your keto control if you have our Naturally Nourished Cookbook, which has in the index KF for ketosis-friendly, and you can start to play with the entrees that would be keto-friendly and see how you feel and kind of tip your toe into the mud and then dive in.
1: Awesome. And yeah, we've seen some really amazing results in our virtual keto program and in the prior um, in-person keto programs in terms of medication reduction Oh yeah. and getting ahead of insulin resistance.
2: I would say a majority of people get off of or half their diabetic drugs and blood pressure drugs within the first six to 12 weeks. It's, it's phenomenal. Pretty amazing stuff. Yes. Okay. So what if
1: stress is more the Achilles heel in terms of what's driving insulin totally. resistance?
2: So, you know, maybe you're rocking out your low glycemic or keto diet, you're managing your carbs, you're eating enough fat and you're eating a balanced amount of protein, but you are under a high stress demand job, you are not sleeping enough. Um, so, sleep is one of the big things to focus on. Um, and I, t- I like to recommend seven to eight hours of sleep every night, <laughs> on average at least. So, if you get some extra credit on the weekend and one day is short and that's real life, you know, just work your hardest to regulate your stress and your sleep response because we do know that. When we have balanced deep levels of sleep, we tend to also have balanced cortisol values. And when we're talking about blood sugar irregularities and um, something called the dawn phenomenon where your blood sugar at your fasting in the morning is the highest, often that corresponds to cortisol peaking. And cortisol can definitely be one of the strongest biomarkers for inflammatory insulin resistance. So if we have high stress during the day or in ample sleep during the night or not a lack, not a qualitative deep sleep during the night, we're going to get reduction in adiponectin. And adiponectin is that beneficial metabolic hormone that drives favorable use of insulin or enhances insulin sensitivity. So when adiponectin levels go down, that often means that we're going to make more of the visceral fat, that harmful fat, and that is driven by cortisol response, and that drives more insulin resistance.
1: Awesome. So really, if the body's in survival mode, we just can't possibly um, (laughs) be regulating that insulin as well.
2: Right. So, I mean, it's both because we truly make a different type of body fat, which over time throughout the day, so, you know, if you have more adiponectin that's favorable for you. So when you have cortisol and that drives more visceral fat, that puts you at higher inflammatory state, higher insulin resistance. And then again, the cortisol hormone itself peaks your blood sugar and your insulin. And so if you're waking up every night at 2 or 3 AM, I definitely would recommend getting an advanced hormone and cortisol salivary assessment to see what's going on. I would also say you'd probably be a strong candidate for our Calm and Clear supplement, which will help with your output of cortisol. It has a little bit of phosphatidylserine in there, so that actually helps to modulate or regulate your cortisol expression. It also has herbs that help you with concentration and focus, so stress resilience as well as mellowing out. And it has L-theanine, which modulates your neurotransmitters. So that's one of the first lines of defense, the Calm and Clear to help with the stress element of insulin resistance and the sleep element. And then if you've brought that in as a platform and you're still, still having difficulty with sleep, you might even also try uh, the sleep support formula which has melatonin. And melatonin can also counteract that cortisol peak. So that's my second line of defense to use with clients that have that elevated fasting even though they are keto-adapted. Uh, the sleep support with the melatonin and the nervine herbs can really help to bring that down.
1: And then maybe GABA thrown in there if we are getting that middle of the night thing just to kind of shut it back down.
2: Yeah. And, and especially GABA too for the during the day reactions. Cause like I mentioned, there's that also acute response of the liver dumping glucose into the bloodstream. So you have kind of the long-term shift of the adiponectin visceral fat with the cortisol. You have the immediate cortisol dump and the insulin spike and glucose spike. And then you also have the stress hormones like your adrenaline and epinephrine causing dumping of glucose and glucose production in the body.
1: Awesome. And then managing our stress kind of on a day-to-day function as well, beyond sleep, looking at things like our um, stress support bundle. So that would include the GABA, the common Clear, and our adaptogen boost. Right. Also other habits to yes. reduce stress, I think would be a big one.
2: Yes. Yeah. So finding your mellow with daily deep breathing. Mark David calls it your vitamin O2. Um, and we have to get him on as a guest. We'll do that before episode 100. I'll be on my to-do list. Um, but yes, he calls that your vitamin O2. <laughs> and, you know, goes into all the metabolic processes of if we're not getting oxygenated we are not metabolizing, so yoga can help with that. Just deep breathing, practice, meditation, mindfulness, all will help with managing this insulin resistance for the stress piece of the puzzle.
1: Awesome. And I think that's when people just don't really think about, you know, that that stress is a big
2: driver. And another chicken and egg, Becky, is like you're stressed about the lack of the weight loss or the Uh contentment resistance. So you tighten up and and double down on your keto diet and you bring your carbs to 20 grams (laughs) and you're really, you know, obsessing and type A-ing it. And that's making your cortisol values go haywire, which is further creating that resistance. Yep. So finding your mellow.
1: (laughs) All right. So what about, we've alluded to this a little bit, but what about the role of intermittent fasting?
2: For sure. So we want to break from this overfed state where food exposure is constant and there's just this ongoing overstimulation that is going to create this doorbell effect of constant fed state driving a rapid fat storage and a increased release of insulin which is going to further drive insulin resistance so using fasting can be a, one of the most rapid ways of enhancing insulin re, insulin sensitivity or optimizing your insulin expression in your body i at minimum recommend doing 168s and at least 3 to 5 days a week And so what that looks like is not eating for 16 hours, eating for only an eight-hour window. So that might be like 8 p.m. until noon. Um, So most of the evening you're sleeping, and then in the morning maybe you're just doing lemon water. If you need, you might be doing a fat bomb or a fat-fueled latte, and then, um, you know, you'd be breaking that fast around noon. You could even expand that to like an 18-6 where you'd go from 8 p.m. or uh, 8 p.m. until 2 or 6 p.m. until noon. And that would be 18 hours without food, eating for only six hours. And, you know, that's a great structure to start for about three to five days, again, a week. And um, it tends to help that that falls during your sleep time. So you're not kind of over muscling it. But we do see with, uh, you know, I think Jimmy Moore right now actually is on day six of his seven day water fast um, where he uses just electrolytes and water. Uh, Dr. Jason Fung does uh, a lot of. In his metabolic institute, a lot of prolonged fasts, and um, these I do recommend being medically monitored, especially if you are on medications, um, and definitely like to make sure that you are getting salt. So often I'll recommend Himalayan salt and an electrolyte supplement during these times, and or use of bone broth, um, but these extended fasts, meaning more than 24 hours, um, can really be the best way to accelerate that cellular regeneration or cell recycling that we see with um, autophagy or autophagy. And um, that can really help with that autodigestion of the dysfunctional parts of the cells, which can itself help with the insulin receptors to be more functional, but even on the level of enhancing things like reduced risk for dementia and cancer. So we talk a lot about this in episode 63 of our podcast, um, and that goes into mechanisms of intermittent fasting.
1: Awesome. And yeah, that 16-8, three days in a row is often a really good place to start. We don't need to do a seven-day water fast yet. Right,
2: right, <laughs> right. And like I said, that should be definitely med- medically monitored sure. and considered. And I do know, though, like Dr. Terry Walls does a 24-hour uh, twice a month, um, there's definitely a lot more research that is starting to hit the, the science market, if you will, on these extended fasts. So I'm sure there'll be more to come. Uh, but those are ones that definitely you'd want to monitor, especially if taking medications.
1: Awesome. Um, So what about treating micronutrient deficiencies? So let's talk about maybe a couple of the common nutrient deficiencies that play a role with our insulin function in the body and then what we can do about that.
2: Yeah. So my favorite one that's often an unsung hero is vitamin K. So vitamin K likes to work as a team player, at least I like personify it. Vitamin K likes to work with friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> vitamin K likes to work with vitamin D and um, they have a really nice synergy in the body's um, use of that hormone. You know, vitamin D is a hormone. Um, the only vitamin that functions as a hormone in the body. But vitamin K helps vitamin D in its absorb absorption. Also, it helps vitamin D in the function of its hormone effects and also in the use of calcium and delivery to the bone, preventing calcification. We're seeing a huge um, increase in the medical field of people that are doing high dose vitamin D because of all the buzz for immune health and anti-inflammatory support and the hormonal mechanisms on thyroid support and what have you for vitamin D benefits. But if we do high-dose vitamin D without vitamin K, we're higher prone towards calcification, actually. So we're starting to see on the trend, and I, I'm saying it's going to happen more, of um, kidney stones. Um, and uh, calcification concerns. Um, and I also worry about calcification of soft tissues, of course. So, when we're looking at like heart disease. So, vitamin K is a really important thing to look at as far as those mechanisms. And then, in the role of insulin, um, it actually does play a direct role with our insulin receptor function. So vitamin K is made in our large intestines. If you have a deficiency of that, the two things I look into is, are you over-supplementing with vitamin D on its own, and that's driving vitamin K depletion, or do you have imbalanced gut bacteria and you're not manufacturing the vitamin K? So the first thing to do is make sure that your vitamin D has a balanced blend. Um, so we have a vitamin D that we private labeled called vitamin D balance blend. Um, and it includes both K1 and K2. And the ratio is very specific where there is 5,000 IUs of vitamin activated vitamin D with 5,500 micrograms of a K1, K2 blend. So that's always a very good ratio something to look at for a good daily dosage of vitamin D that is going to optimize your blood levels above 50 and under 100, somewhere in that ideal window. Um, So that'd be one way to get vitamin K in and also vitamin D, which has a whole myriad of benefits for the body. Another way to focus on your vitamin K would be optimizing your microbiome. So actually focusing on getting good quality probiotic foods in daily, like cultured vegetables, your cultured forms of dairy, um, incorporating a quality probiotic supplement. I like to use a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido strains, um, like our baseline probiotic, which has the 15 billion and doesn't have any of the other fermentable compounds that could drive your biome off. And then you know maintaining that probiotic choice per day and then raw aged cheeses are one of the other best forms of vitamin K um, because it's again made by bacteria so you get that active form in the raw aged cheeses
1: awesome and I can't tell you guys how often we see folks on that high dose vitamin D without the K so if you are taking vitamin D flip it over see if there's K in it. And if there's not, you want to consider switching that out if you're going to be on it long-term.
2: And a soy-free formula preferably. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes um, to our vitamin D balance blend. Yes. And then
1: what about other nutrients that play a role with insulin function. So carnitine.
2: Yeah. Well, this is a huge one for weight loss and um, that I recommend, especially for those that are doing more of a fat adapted lifestyle or ketogenic lifestyle, because carnitine is used in metabolism of fat as fuel. So there's actually a shuttle in the body called the carnitine shuttle and um, carnitine is used to actually produce ketones from fat in that in that metabolic process so it converts fat into fuel to be used in the body so it could be a limiting agent to why you are not making ample ketones and i like to go to carnitine in a good quality form in a high dosage of about 2 grams as a baseline Um, before I would bring in exogenous ketones. I'm much more of a fan of carnitine as a supplement because it teaches the body to make ketones from your own body fat and stimulates your use of fat as fuel. So, it's going to be the best uh, metabolic booster, if you will. And we have this in our uh, product called Boost and Burn. It's a liquid supplement that, in a teaspoon, provides you the two grams of L carnitine. And um, that is going to enhance your body's burn of body fat and further enhance your use of um, insulin and reduce your insulin resistance or enhance your insulin sensitivity. With that metabolic change. So, that would be another thing that we'll put in the show notes as a, as a supplement recommendation. And food forms of carnitine, we're thinking of red meats like uh, grass fed beef and lamb, wild seafood are another really good one to focus on, and, and protein rich foods in general.
1: Awesome. And then chromium, I think, is a, a really big one too that we often yeah. see deficient.
2: And I think chromium is maybe the most popular of yeah. these as far as our. Um, consideration of nutrients that have been studied for long term on their influence of blood sugar metabolism. So chromium plays a big role with the use of insulin hormone. So um, chromium is seen in food forms in our broccoli, nuts, and seeds. It's one of the connections of why cinnamon is often recommended to add to your foods to help with that chromium um, level and the insulin sensitivity or insulin receptor function.
1: And then if we are dealing with or suspicious of micronutrient deficiencies, we might want to consider running a micronutrient panel to look at 35 different vitamins and minerals and the role that they could actually be playing with the bigger picture of insulin resistance.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So especially for those of you guys that have been listening to a lot of episodes and you're really intrigued by this process and you you know, maybe don't want to jump into becoming a patient and aren't even sure if you need to be an active patient of Becky or mine, you might consider just doing our micronutrient test that you can order online. And you can do that with a 15-minute review as a good foundation of kind of where your health status is at. Um, you can do that for a full comprehensive analysis for a 90-minute appointment that ma- makes you an active patient of ours. Or you can even do it with just a 15-minute review where we just comb through, look at trends, talk about supplement recommendations, give you a table with food as medicine recommendations. And you can use that as an annual health scan of just kind of where your status is so that you're not shooting in the dark if you are using nutritional supplements. You know exactly what your body needs and also you can check on levels that may be in higher levels than desire that you might want to reduce supplementation of. So I definitely recommend it as an annual assessment and it's called the micronutrient test and we do that through spectra cell labs. Awesome.
1: And I'll link to that in the show notes. I'm also thinking a multivitamin for sure as kind of a broad yeah. spectrum insurance policy here.
2: Yeah. I can't tell you how many people are taking five, six, seven supplements focused on specific nootropic um, outcomes, which is fine, you know, like a particular um, anti-inflammatory, so it's an omega-3, or maybe they're taking this Boost and Burn to help with the carnitine, all of these can be targeted focuses, but I always recommend also a foundational formula as an insurance policy, if you will, for all of your micronutrients to at least get above their daily needs. Um, and so I would recommend in that sense our multi-defense, which has the methylated forms of B vitamins and bioactive minerals. And I just want to take a moment um, and, and talk about kind of how Becky and I um, recommend supplements for you guys. When I created this podcast as a reference for really my clinic to start, um, I had over 2,000 clients active in my clinic back in, I think that was 2015 when we launched the podcast. And um, I wanted to provide a resource so that I could give up-to-date medical journal Peer-reviewed information and really disseminate cutting-edge functional medicine tools to people that wanted information and wanted the what I what can I do about it and solution-oriented information, just versus high-level um, science and nothing with the what and the how and, and the application elements. And so. That's kind of how this podcast was birthed, I guess, 76 episodes ago, and um, I have gotten really positive feedback about providing specific recommendations with supplements because it gives you guys an opportunity to have an exact application of how to get above water and how to address particular areas of need. Um, The way that our private label supplement system works is I use third-party pharmaceutical grade companies, and um, I select the formulas that I've used in my clinic or in my functional medicine training for over the last decade um, that have been the best products that have yielded the best outcomes in my clinic. And then I select those, I order them at high volume, and I private label them. The cool thing about it is instead of having to email me and say, what's your favorite chromium? What's your favorite carnitine? What's your favorite probiotic? All you have to do is check my shop and you'll see my favorite three probiotics. You'll see my favorite fiber supplement. You'll see my favorite omega-3 and the things that I've seen best outcomes with. So it's a really cool way for you to know what is quote unquote Ali approved and what has yielded successful clinical outcomes. And that's why I've chose to bring those into my private label line. The other really cool benefit of that is that this is going to provide you an opportunity to get savings over d- buying from Amazon, which is not safe because often we'll see issues with tampering and the labels and such, um, but also buying even from the direct marketer, which is going to have a higher SRP. So I'm able to, with auto refills, give you guys 10% savings and give you guys accessibility without the expense of having to work with a functional practitioner. So that's my little two cents on there. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to kind of give you guys that information because I I think we get a lot of positives about that. But I got one bad iTunes review about trying to oversell in the podcast. And I've gotten more positive than negative, but just wanted to give you guys my two cents on that because I'm hoping that I'm providing you guys an awesome resource. And if you don't wanna use the products that I recommend, you can even use it as a reference point to look at the bioactive ingredients and find something that, thing that works for you under a different company line if you'd like. But by buying from my, my company and my line, it does support me. It does support my ability to give you this information for free and spend the time researching this and um, share my passion with the masses and, and make this something that I can do as a sustainable lifestyle.
1: Yes. And I think at the end of the day, you know, you and I both, uh, we won't put our names on something if, if we don't stand behind it fully and haven't seen, you you know, Awesome, measurable clinical outcomes.
2: And I think that we both, right, use. I mean, I right now my entire <laughs> supplement um, opening cabinet is all private label products, and I'm right now using 13 of the 36 <laughs> supplements <laughs> in the line, and that's where I'm at. I'm I'm on superhuman function level, and I'm gonna keep rocking it.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm afraid to count how many I'm taking right now. <laughs> Okay. Uh, So that's our little plug on supplements. And the the auto refill feature Allie mentioned is brand new, you guys. So if you are currently on um, some of our baseline formulas, like our multi-defense or our EPA DHA or baseline probiotics, yeah, yeah, things you're going to be taking for a long time, if not, you know, forever, you can actually go in just like you used to shop in our shop Select the auto refill option and have it delivered either monthly or bimonthly, depending on you know how many you're taking a day and how much you need, um, and get a 10% savings and not have to remember to order it every month.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And it can really help keep you out of the water when the calm and clear, the GABA calm is getting low. Cool. <laughs> we had a calm
1: and clear shortage. I have care. to go to my in laws. <laughs> I can't survive. Oh my gosh. We had a calm and clear shortage. I think it was. Two weeks ago I'm now very much stocked up, but I was I was a little bit worried about some of our clients for
2: a minute. So auto refills are the bomb for that reason. Yes. Yes.
1: Okay, back to insulin resistance. Sidebar.
2: Thank you. Um,
1: So let's talk about the last couple here um, that can be drivers of insulin resistance. So endocrine disruptors is something that we alluded to a little bit. And this is really kind of some scary stuff because they're out there in increasing amounts in our food system, in our water supply, in what we put on and around our bodies.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, this, they're, like you said, they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're on our receipts. They are in our produce because of, like I said, the pesticides that even if it's an organic farm, there's some soil and water residue. Um, the phthalates that we see are used in so many products, BPA. Um, and so typically, again, these we tend to think perfumes, pesticides, and plastics when we're looking at the influence of endocrine disruptors. And so as much as we can replace our cleaning products with uh, clean, um, non-toxic options, I'm, I'm right now using Branch Basics, I think that they're an awesome company, um, using Castile soaps um, and uh, natural homemade body products coconut oil as our you know, lead or um, nourishing oils like almond oil and different blends with essential oils as our topical products. Clean makeup like um, the Beauty Counter line, um, which Becky is now a consultant on, so we can put a link in our show notes to that. If you haven't cleaned out your makeup, this is one of the most important things to do for women that are wearing makeup on a daily basis. Um, you can probably speak a little bit more to that, Becky, cause I don't have <laughs> any branch basic, fly- I mean, excuse me, beauty counter flyers or <laughs> promo emails, but yeah, I, I do use it personally myself. And, um, I am someone that doesn't wear makeup often, honestly. Um, I am a wash your face and put coconut oil on it in the evening type of gal. But when I do wear makeup, I like to feel good about the makeup I'm putting on my face. And so that's a huge area of interest as well. And then, um, we're looking at, of course, our diet and the additives and binders and fillers and colorants. And I mean, this is why we're seeing girls starting their periods now at age nine and 10. And this is why we're seeing such a raise of infertility that's so remarkable. And this is why we're seeing increased breast cancer and ovarian cancer and erectile dysfunction and diabetes and insulin resistance. So all of these are influence of endocrine disruptors. And I'm not saying that that's the only driver, but what I'm saying is these chemicals that are in our industrialized society interfere with hormone signaling. That's what an endocrine disruptor is. So it can actually have a totally different signal to the body on that hormone Pathway or a louder or softer. So, an enhanced or reduced or totally different hormonal communication. And it is driving our bodies wacky.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of, of tools that we can use to reduce the influence of some of these things. So, certainly switching out our products. And, you know, I don't, clients will come to me and be like, do I have to clean out my entire cabinet and throw away all this stuff? I'm like, oh, just relax. Replace the stuff, you know, replace whatever you were using with the branch basics as you run out, start to slowly replace, you know, maybe your foundation and moisturizer with some of the beauty counter products and things that you use and put on, on a, you know, a daily basis. Maybe you don't wear the lipstick on a daily basis, but you do use moisturizer and shampoo or something like that. So starting with small, measurable swap outs of the biggest influencers and then I think a 10-day a detox is also a really good way sure. to start and kind of washing everything out.
2: Yes. And I will be doing sometime in April, um, I haven't set a date yet, but you guys will hear a uh, free webinar on our 10-day detox. And I will be doing the 10-day cleanse myself then. I am definitely do, and on the last week of my book writing and ready to ring out. <laughs> and so, um, attended detox is is really essential. You can get going on your own if you don't want to wait for me in April. Um, and you can get our ebook. It's a ten day real food detox ebook, and we also have that available as a virtual class or a DVD. And within that, it would be strongly advised to do the um, reset, restore, renew detox packs, which are supplement packs that include both phase one and phase two liver, kidney detox supporting compounds, and also an antioxidant blend. Um, And uh, they're worked in kind of a bell curve. So it's a strategic 10-day process um, that you really get to upregulate the filtration system of your body. And we recommend doing that quarterly at minimum as a 10-day detox.
1: Awesome. I think that would be a really fun thing that we might roll out, maybe in the next couple episodes, is a, a detox challenge to do it along with us. Because I'll join you, Allie.
2: Okay. I think that'd be good. <laughs> I think that would be good timing with our launch of our uh, relaunch of our YouTube channel. All big things. I <laughs> could do a daily download. Yes. <laughs> you guys could so join us over there. Definitely um,
1: stay tuned for that, and and you know check us out over at Facebook and Instagram because I'm sure we'll be posting about that as it rolls out as well.
2: Yes. So the last one on here, I think we will do an entire episode on because like I said, I kind of have like a vengeance against these non-caloric sweeteners just because they tend to get a a quote unquote halo effect (laughs) from the, you know, whether it's the paleo community or the keto community um, or just the low carb community in general uh, because of their, you know, non-glucose spiking effects. But I, you know, I mentioned already, most of them are very processed and there can be that Pavlov's dog psychosomatic influence. And my concern is the influence of especially the corn derived one, having higher amounts of pesticide residues and such, because that is one of the highest sprayed crops. So that's all I have to say about that.
1: And then there is the influence on the microbiome potentially too.
2: Absolutely. So maybe yeah. a little more to say. Then there is the emotional element too of like right. not ever breaking up with sugar. Right. So then you're, you're not experiencing that true channeling of savory. And I think that's what prevents the long-term sustainable lifestyle change. You're still rewarding yourself with those old habits. Right. So really, we want you resetting, breaking up with sugar. I
1: like how you called it the halo effect because there's that halo top ice cream that everyone's raving about right now. Um, but breaking up with sugar and, and resetting that sensation of like, what actually is sweet with a real food ketogenic approach?
2: Yep. Yep. That's always my biggest win is when I hear someone say, I never knew how sweet a Marcona almond could be, or, you know, oh my gosh, I made XYZ recipe and it was so sweet. And, you know, these are things that don't have natural sweeteners and aren't even um, categorized as a carbohydrate food, but the palate is starting to reset. And that's a win. And that is a driver to help with insulin resistance as well.
1: Sure. And then for listeners that are already keto adapted or um, are keto adapted and still dealing with the effects of insulin resistance, what can they expect, expect to see within a ketogenic program? And then what are additional tweaks or tools that they might consider?
2: So, if you already are keto and you're already fasting, you know, you're, you're halfway there plus, you know, you're maybe three quarters, maybe 90%. But yes, especially people that have a lot of body fat to lose or have been keto adapted and are still struggling with the insulin resistance, um, I would, of course, look deep into the stress and sleep part of the equation because I think that is likely a big driver. And a lot of times we don't perceive ourselves as stressed. So, maybe just Preemptively working with some stress supplementation and seeing how that affects your numbers would be a good tool. And then, specifically with your diet, the couple of things that I would look into is um, cutting dairy out completely. Uh, dairy. Because of especially growth hormone dairy, so make sure that it is organic if you are to keep in dairy or try to pull dairy out for a four to six week period and see if that has the insulin resistance driving effects on you. Many people respond with any amount of dairy with the insulin um, peak. And then protein levels making sure that you're not getting too much protein because protein can drive that transamination or conversion of glucose in the body from protein or amino acids and um, too much protein can also drive insulin peaks in the body. You want to kind of see where you're at with your body weight as far as grams per kilograms and go around to 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight or maybe even adjusted for your ideal body weight with your true body weight as an adjusted body weight um, to ensure that you're not over promoting or over consuming excuse excuse me protein and and that can have the insulin effect as well yes
1: and then bringing in some of the supplement tools that we spoke to earlier as well can really help to enhance function of insulin in the body and and reduce that release
2: and just to also scream it from the hilltops if you have lost weight in the beginning of your ketogenic diet and you're now in like your sixth month and you're plateauing, that is a reason to do my 10 day detox because you've lost fat cells um, as far as size and you store your toxins and those endocrine disruptors in your body fat. So if all of a sudden you're starting to have more hormonal imbalance, more inflammatory response because of the body fat loss, you need to upregulate your detox processes to excrete those compounds that are creating that scrambling imbalanced influence in your body to get another weight loss whoosh and to really rebound from the insulin resistance for good.
1: Awesome. And then what about just some general tools for listeners in terms of getting ahead of insulin resistance and, uh um, how we can, maybe if we're not going straight keto, what can we do to navigate a low glycemic approach?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I would say start with, if you don't have it, the naturally nourished cookbook, which like I said, um, it does, uh, have keto-friendly in the coating of the index, so you can play with ketogenic diet. There is a 12-week meal plan on there that is low glycemic, and then the sweeteners that we use in our cookbook are nourishing options like the dark amber maple syrup, um, and um, or we may use uh, whole food fruits, And those will be used with high fats and things that blunt the glycemic influence and could be used for those of you ketogenic listeners on a carb cycling day. Most recipes in the book are going to be below 30 grams of carbs at total. And then if they're under 10 grams, we give them the scoring of keto friendly. Um, and then you know, there's a bunch of recipes on the blog you can play with as well. And then if you wanted to lock and load, I would check out the ebook bundle with the Eat Fat Get Skinny and the ketogenic kickstart if you wanted to, to explore the ketogenic diet. As I mentioned, there's also the detox. So checking out the ebook or the virtual class and the detox packs. Um, all of these can really help you to optimize your metabolism and resensitize those insulin receptors. And the starting foundational point is a diet that rings out the glucose and reduces the carbohydrate levels, gives healthy anti-inflammatory fats, and optimizes nutritional density.
1: Awesome. And then let's talk about a couple of specific foods that would fit within uh, those parameters of a low glycemic or ketogenic diet that could help reduce insulin resistance. So I know we said cinnamon is a big one.
2: So cinnamon for sure. And you can actually add that to your uh, keto coffee in the morning. I love doing that. Um, Or even your ground coffee beans. If you're doing black coffee, Um, cinnamon can be sprinkled into so many different forms of protein shakes. And my favorite fat bomb is uh, ghee with coconut oil and cinnamon and almond extract. I love that um, as an option. Um,
1: cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah,
2: no cinnamon, <laughs> no toast. <laughs> and then um, omega 3s are super helpful for reducing the inflammation. So, getting in like that canned skipjack using lox or cold smoked salmon, um, any form of wild fish, aiming for three times a week would be at minimum. Uh, I'm going to be making snapper this evening, and I think I'll do that with some zoodles and um, some sprouts. And then um, other anti-inflammatories like our turmeric and our ginger and uh, fresh herbs and seasonings can be super therapeutic as well. And then having healthy fats like the fat bombs mentioned that have anti-inflammatory mechanisms like our coconut oil to help with the insulin docking influence.
1: Awesome. And we'll link to some recipes as well as, um, all the resources we mentioned. And then lastly, um, let's just throw out a couple more supplement recommendations. I know we already spoke spoke to the boost and burn and the vitamin D and chromium, but are there any others that you would recommend if dealing with insulin resistance?
2: Yeah. So one that we haven't mentioned, uh, two, okay, bear with me too. So berberine boost would be one, and that's one that I, uh, so I've had a lot of history, if you guys have listened to um, prior podcasts on my personal journey with like infertility and whatnot, um, I've had a lot of history with candidiasis and dysbiosis. So berberine boost is something that I use um, every time I carb cycle. And also it is something that I will use when I'm getting deeper into keto. It does have hypoglycemic or blood sugar lowering effects and can help with that insulin resistance. It also drives bile and liver function. So, it can help with detoxification as well as having that antibacterial and antiviral, good for this time of the year, and antimicrobial effect. Um, and so, that's something that can be taken uh, daily, like one twice a day or one a day. Whereas during an active candida or dysbiosis cleanse, you're going to be taking like upwards of four a day of that compound. But taking one can help with blood pressure and blood sugar regulation. In fact, Sometimes that's my only go-to, especially for a patient that's trending with elevated hemoglobin A1C and elevated liver enzymes. So berberine boost to be one to mention. And then um, the only other one that is of interest to this topic is a supplement by Metagenics called Insanase. So um, if you've tried all these other things, um, this is kind of a unique fringe-type recommendation that uses something called skerms. And SCRMS are selective kinase response modulators. <laughs> and so these play a role on a um, actually DNA, um, neutrogenomic level um, to enhance expression on an anti-inflammatory level to support insulin receptor signaling. So insinase is taken with food and helps your body to dock insulin to the insulin receptor. And this is what I would think of as more of a medication replacement if you're not getting insulin resistance with the foundational fu- functional approaches. Because the foundational functional approaches like detox and the ketogenic diet and or micronutrient repletion, those will all have a multitude of beneficial outcomes to them beyond just the insulin resistance. So once you've hit those as pillars, and if you're still dealing with insulin resistance, Insanase may be that turnkey solution to just further enhance that insulin sensitivity.
1: Awesome. So I think those are all really helpful suggestions. Sorry to leave you guys on skirms as our
2: last. <laughs> like, urgh, do not compute selected yeah. kinase response. Modulator. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but I think those are all really good suggestions of, of tools that are available to our listeners and things that we can incorporate um, in terms of the diet right away, and maybe a couple of just those baseline formulas to really get ahead of the issue of insulin resistance, and if we are dealing with insulin resistance, hopefully you are inspired to either jump into our virtual ketosis program when it launches in May, or just get on board with real food with the Naturally Nourished Cookbook.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Becky. And thanks guys for hanging in for this marathon episode. We'll see how you feel about the longer format. And if you could take a moment to go on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a couple comments. That always helps the algorithms and helps us to spread food as medicine to the masses. And if you haven't yet, go over to AlliemillerRD.com. If you click on the podcast tab, you will see the show notes, which even though they don't look like hyperlinks, hover over the areas of interest and there will be clickable links to directly show you information on the supplements mentioned and the resources in today's episode.